Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Today in Hebrews 4, we're going to see how God promises rest. As we look to Him and trust Him, He will be faithful to meet us in the most personal way and give us rest in the midst of life's most difficult circumstances. One of Cheryl's message titled, Four Reasons for Rest. This chapter four is a very personal chapter for me. This is a chapter that at a time of incredible upheaval in my life, lots of chaos, confusion battering my thoughts, circumstances that were just horrific, a time when I was being slandered, falsely accused, and lies that hurt. You know how there's some lies that don't hurt? Like there was a lie going around when I lived in Vista that I was beating up Brian. That didn't hurt. It's like, right, ha, 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 right? But there's some lies that get you. Like, how dare anyone say that when that relationship or that thing is so precious to me? How dare they say that about my child? You can lie about me. And I'm like, but you lie about my children? Oh, the claws come out. You know how it is, those of us that have children? It's like, ah. And I just remember all, or lie about Brian, and, and, the, and I was just, it was such upheaval. And the Lord met me in my personal devotions in Hebrew chapter four. He just met me. It was like me and Jesus in the room. I think about when Jesus met Nathaniel. We read this story in John chapter one. And Nathaniel, I believe, had had a God moment, a very personal moment where he was sitting under a fig tree and all the promises of God became so real to him. And Philip comes to Nathaniel and he says, we've met the Messiah and he's from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He, He doesn't believe this. But he goes with Philip anyway. And Jesus looks at him and he says, oh, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, oh, so you know me. And he goes, I knew you when you were under the fig tree. Something happened under that fig tree because Nathaniel then looks at Jesus and says, my Lord and my God, you know about the fig tree. You know about the transaction and my thoughts and everything that happened under that fig tree. Many people believe that he was meditating on the chapter in Genesis where Jacob saw the ladder going up into heaven because Jesus said, from this time forward, you will see 
greater works by the Son of God and angels ascending and descending from the throne of God. Jesus knows those times of travail and sorrow and those private moments. Don't you love that he has these private moments with us? Jesus, who is so great, and and we all love Jesus, but he has this way of being so private and personal with each one of us. Though he is for all of us, he is so personal and private with each one of us. This was a time of unrest. I had difficulty sleeping. And it's often for me at bedtime, just about when I'm ready to go to sleep, I'm absolutely exhausted that the anxious thoughts intrude. And they say things like, what are you going to do? What can you do? What about this person or that person? What about this lie? How are you going to bring truth to this lie? Or you need to defend yourself. You need to fight. If you don't do something, then you will disappoint everyone. Or people are believing the lies. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants you. I was just talking to a young woman two weeks ago. She has some young sons. And she's married and she's on the mission field. And she was talking about this moment when the enemy was so strong. And he said, your whole family, the whole world, the church, other people would be better without you. That's such a lie of the devil. Do not entertain that. Do not entertain that thought for one moment. That's a lie of the devil. But she had it and she said it was so strong and so overwhelming that all she could do was call on the name of Jesus. But at this point in my life, I was at that place. I was thinking everyone would be so much better off without me. There's nothing I can do. And I didn't even know how to identify my thoughts. Have you ever got to the place where the confusion is so strong that you can't sort your own thoughts? You can't tell what is God and what is the world and what is the flesh? What is the devil? The thoughts are all running through your brain. What thoughts are safe to think about? And what thoughts, if you entertain them, will take you south so fast? And it was then that my devotions fell on Hebrews chapter 4. And these Israelites were promised a rest. And the Lord was promising in the midst of those horrific circumstances. He wasn't saying that there'd be a reprieve or an absence but there would be a rest in the midst of these circumstances, a rest that I could enter into right then. You know, you never realize how important rest is until you lose it, you don't have it, it's being jeopardized, or you're just not feeling it and haven't had it. That day, Jesus met me personally and spoke to me these four principles in Hebrews chapter four. And at that point, I took hold of them and I began to preach them to myself, literally preach them to myself. When I felt myself going down 
or I felt my peace ebbing, about to leave me, I would go, all right, here are the four principles, and we're going to go over these again. But I would say the word of God is living and powerful is sharper than any two-edged sword. I've got promises and I'm going to trust those promises and I'm going to stand in the living, powerful word of God no matter what my circumstances say. My God knows everything. He saw it all. There's nothing he's missed. Everything is open and naked before the God that I stand before. I have a high priest who loves me. He's with me and he understands me. He's the perfect one, not me. But he understands and he's sympathizing and he's empathizing right now, Jesus. You are for me, not against me. And you understand me and you love me. And you are interceding on my behalf before God. And right now I'm in the throne room of grace where I obtain mercy. Here in this place, I am absolutely clean and forgiven and wanted and loved and adored. And all I need to get through this situation, all the grace I need is mine. I would preach it to myself over and over again. I would proclaim these truths to myself. I would go one, two, three, four. I would process them. I would meditate on each one of them. I still do. I still do. I go back to these things over and over and over again. Every time I feel my rest is in jeopardy. I proclaim them to my daughters. I proclaim them to my sons. I proclaim them to anyone who comes to me and says, I can't rest. I say, I'm going to give you four principles for rest right now that are my own. I'm going to take them out of the treasury. I love in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus said, every scribe who is instructed in the word of God brings out of the storehouse of his treasury, both treasures old and new. This was something that God put in the treasury of my mind and heart. And when somebody is going through unrest, this is what I give them. I proclaim this truth. I process it. I meditate on it. And I apply it specifically to certain areas of my life. I apply the promises of God. God, you gave me this promise and it fits in this situation. God, you're my high priest. You understand. God, you see it. You know what's going on. Everything. I don't need to explain it to you. I don't need to go over it again. You saw it. I apply it. And then I praise the Lord. Lord, I praise you right now. I'm going to enter into praise because your word can be fully trusted. I'm going to praise you because you see it all and there's nothing that your eye misses. I'm going to praise you because you are my advocate. You are my high priest. You understand me. You sympathize. You empathize. You've been through this and you were victorious. And you know exactly what I need. And you are ushering me right now into the throne room of grace where I can obtain all I need. Or I praise God because my daughter or my son who's going through this trial, that same throne room of grace is available to them. They have the same high priest. The same God sees them. And the same promises are theirs.
In the context of Hebrews chapter four, these believers were in jeopardy of losing the rest that they were meant to have. Jesus promised rest. Jesus did everything that we might have rest. He took all our sins. He put them on the cross. He was victorious over sin and death. We read that he destroyed death, which Satan used to have power over men. He removed the power of the devil. We know that God desires that we live in this rest. Let me read to you Matthew 6, 25, 34, the words of Jesus. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither snow nor reap nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one more cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after these things, the Gentiles are those who do not have a heavenly father seek. But your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's what Jesus said. In another passage, he told them, look at the ravens. Now, if I don't think God created a more obnoxious bird than a raven. God loves ravens. I mean, if God loves ravens and he takes care of ravens and he feeds ravens, how much more he will feed and take care of you? Aren't ravens obnoxious? They're like big crows. Do you ever feel like crows are gossiping about you? They're up in the trees. You're walking by. They're going, ah, ah, ah. The other one's going, ah, ah, ah. Oh, 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 oh. They're like, is she so stupid looking? You know, look what she's wearing. I don't even think it matches. And she can't fly. You know, and obviously she hasn't had any worms today. Look at her. You know, know, and you're just, you're just like, would you guys just be quiet? And God loves these angry little birds. He takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you? They're obnoxious. You're not. Most of the time. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I don't merit it. I didn't earn it. How can he love me? He takes care of ravens. Go out, just talk to a raven. Just look at a raven and go, wow, God loves you. And you are so irresponsible. You are not sowing anything. You are not harvesting anything. All you do is sit in those trees and gossip and God takes care of you. You don't even have a bank account or a savings account, not even a barn where you're storing up things. And God takes care of you. God clothes, God clothes the flowers of the field. I mean, you see a field and it's filled with flowers and we know they're going to die. And yet God says, but today, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful today? 
I clothed it today. You know, we tend to think of God as the great comrade in the sky. You know, is it, is it lasting? Is it fiscally responsible? Do you really need it? Do you really need it? I mean, can't you get by on chicken thighs for the rest of your life? And God says, no, I want to bless you. Because sometimes we're the ones who want, like, God bless me. No, don't bless me. That's a little expensive. I have, you know, I don't spend over $5 for any pair of shoes. It's just my own rule. God says, I want to bless you with the $6 ones. Just kidding. Will you let God bless you? Will you let God bless you? Thank you. There's one. There is a rest. And the author of Hebrews is reminding us of that rest. There's a rest that we are to enter. We actually have to go into it. We have to walk into it and we have to live in this blessed state of rest. In the book Pilgrim's Progress, there's a castle of good comfort. And Pilgrim has to get into that castle of good comfort. And he wants to go in, but he hears these lions roaring and it's really dark and he doesn't know how to get there. When the door opens and there's a light beam that comes from the doorway of the castle of good comfort. And a voice comes from the castle of good comfort and it says, the lions are chained. As long as you stay on the beam of light, the lions cannot touch you. Hallelujah, I know. So it's not in my notes either. So you know this is a divine moment. So Pilgrim stays on that narrow beam of light, makes it to the castle of good comfort. And the lions are roaring and trying to get him, but they can never touch him. As long as he's on that beam of light, entering in to the castle of good comfort, we must enter into that rest. We must stay on that beam and walk into this blessed estate of rest. The author of Hebrews says we are to fear. Here's your fear. You want anxiety. You want to have fear. Some people like to worry. Have you ever? I know people who like to worry. If, if they can't find a cause for worry, they get worried. Yeah, you know, I need to worry. Give me a worry quick. I don't have a worry. I've got to be responsible for something. Well, here's your fear. If you want to be anxious about something, be anxious about the fact that you're anxious. Fear your fear. Like, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be anxious. I want to enter in that rest. It was a rest that Israel, though they were promised it, though God intended it for them, Though God wanted it for them, they never entered. The gospel or the good news of God's rest was preached to them. God's offer of rest and blessing, but it never profited them because they never believed it. It was never mixed with faith. You see, I'm going to be honest with you. There are times that God's word does not work. Does not work when it is not believed when it is not claimed, when you don't wait for it, it doesn't work. It needs faith. You must believe it. There are people that have Bibles in their house, but because they don't believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, those promises are not theirs. 
They must be believed. Faith is a necessary ingredient to enter God's promise of rest. It's not enough just to have God's promise. It's not enough just to know or memorize God's promise. It must be believed, embraced, and acted upon. It must be entered or lived in accordance with the recipe, the instruction that is given for that promise. In Acts chapter 25, Paul is in the midst of a violent storm. Um, The text says that Paul had not seen, nor those on the ship, the stars or the sky or the sun for two weeks. They're in the midst of the Mediterranean. They have no idea where they are because of the darkness and the fierceness of the storm they were in. But God comes to Paul through an angel in Acts 27, verse 24. And he says to Paul, do not be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. But then in verse 30, these sailors try to save themselves and escape with the skiff. And in doing so, they jeopardize the promise of God. Paul goes to the captain of the ship and he says, if these men escape, they're going to nullify the promise of God. So unless they agree to be with all of us, this promise of God is null and void. You see, unless you follow and obey the word of God, it doesn't work. For instance, let me illustrate it this way. Just having a recipe for angel food cake is not enough. I can have the cookbook. I can have the recipe. But having that cookbook and that recipe at my disposal will not give me an angel food cake. It won't. I can believe that recipe works, but unless I buy the ingredients, unless I follow the steps for an angel food cake, it won't work. If I say, you know what? I don't want to waste those egg yolks. I don't want to just use 12 egg whites. What am I supposed to do with the yolks? No, I want to add the yolks too. It will never work. You will never have an angel food cake. You have to separate the white of the egg from the yolk. And you have to do something else with the yolk. But you have to whip those egg whites. And you have to make sure your bowl is clean. And there's no oil in the bowl or the egg whites won't work. You have to make sure there's no yolk in it. You have to sift your flour and your sugar three times to get it light enough. You have to follow the steps of an angel food cake. Angel food cakes are probably the most temperamental cake I know of. You have to get the exact right ingredients. You have to have the cream of tartar. I mean, no offense, I do not use cream of tartar regularly in my life. The only thing I use cream of tartar for is my angel food cake. And it's in my cupboard just for an angel food cake. And if it expires, I have to get more. Just in case my grandson says, Grandma, will you make me an angel food cake? Because that's what grandma's known for. Angel food cake. And that's what every grandma should be known for. I'm just saying. I have to act upon this recipe. I have to buy the ingredients. I have to follow the instructions exactly. I have to know the time it takes in the oven. 
I have to take it out when it's done. I have to turn my pan upside down because otherwise it will shrink up and become condensed. How many of you have made one from scratch? Okay, three of us know what we're talking about, maybe six. You have to follow the recipe. The Jews had the promise, but they didn't believe it, so they didn't act on it. They acknowledged it, but they didn't apply it or act on it. This offer of a rest still remains, verses three through nine. It is available to all who will enter it. This recipe for rest works. You never know how important rest is until you lose it. There is rest for the people of God, and the author of Hebrews is reminding us of that rest. We are to enter it. We actually have to go into it. We have to walk into it. We have to live in this blessed state of rest. Fear and worry may hinder us from going in, but as we remember the truths and the promises of God that He is for us and with us, we can, by faith, step into the rest and experience all that God has for us in it. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll continue our look at God's rest as we continue our series, Our Great Faith in the Book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.